I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I am Paige, your caffeine-imbued host, and here's my coffee. It's almost gone again. Mm. In the beginning, coffee, and lo, it was very good. Well, today, we are going to finish off Chapter 3 of Galatians. Let's bring us up to speed. I have a particular habit that sometimes when I go through a book of the Bible or an epistle, sometimes I forget the overriding context, and that is something I really, really need when I get into the deep weeds to be able to understand some of the deeper things, what's going on in these things. So Galatians is full of deep weeds. Paul is not for the faint of heart. Paul is talking about justification. He's talking about the law. Paul is talking about some pretty heady subjects. And sometimes I just get lost. And that started to happen to me in these last few verses of chapter 3. So I had to go back and remind myself of why Paul wrote this letter, who he's writing it to, all that kind of stuff. So let's just do a quick review. Paul has established these churches in Galatia and he's moved on to his next assignment from God and he left the churches, he thought, in pretty good hands. Then he gets word that some Judaizers had come into these churches and were teaching them that in order for them to become true children of Abraham, they had to embrace Judaism. They had to embrace the Torah. They had to become circumcised. These teachers said that in order for you to be a full-fledged member of the body of Christ, you had to embrace Judaism. So this is where our discussion in Galatians started. I learned about two new terms to me, legalism and nomism, nomism especially. Nomism is a combining of grace and the law. Paul, of course, is horrified that they would even consider such a thing. So that forms a premise of this letter that he's been addressing to the Gentile churches in Galatia. Paul reminds them of his bona fides. In other words, who he was, who he is. He's a Pharisee an incredibly intelligent man, possibly one of the greatest minds that the Christian church has ever produced. And he reminds them of who he was. He reminds them of their experience. He reminds them that when they believed the gospel that Paul preached to them, the Holy Spirit came on them. The Holy Spirit moved in their midst. Their lives were changed. He's reminding them through the lens of their own experience that this would not have happened if God did not accept you you're accepted by God by virtue of the fact that you believed. And then he starts taking aim at the Judaizers' arguments as they were circling their theological wagons around Abraham. 
because Abraham is the father of Israel. Most, and Paul builds his argument from there saying, okay, well, let's take a look at this Abraham thing. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's believing in God brought Abraham into right standing before God. And Paul continued to the Galatians, and when you believed, the minute you believed, you became children of Abraham because you shared his faith. Judaizers would come back and say, well, but God gave the law through Moses. And Paul's argument was, please understand, I'm taking liberties here because I imagine this in my head. Paul would say something like, okay, he gave the law. Let's look at that a little closer. First of all, the law came 430 years after Abraham believed God, which was accounted to him as righteousness. If the law was so important to becoming part of God's family, then why did God hold it back for 430 years? If the law was so important to being a member of God's family, then you're disqualifying Abraham because the law came 430 years after Abraham. The simple answer is this. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Believing God was enough. The discussion then turns to discussing the purpose of the law, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Paul is going to give an excellent picture of how we should look at the law as a Jew and as a Gentile. So we pick up the discussion beginning with verse 23. In verses 23 through 25, Paul says, Before the coming of this faith, in other words, before the coming of our faith in Jesus, we were held in custody under the law, locked up, until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we no longer need a guardian. Now the Greek word for guardian is pedagogue. A guardian or pedagogue was a slave responsible for a child's training, especially for pointing out and punishing misbehavior. Like a pedagogue, the law pointed out sin and punished it. Now, another important function of the guardian or pedagogue was to separate and protect the child from the influence of outsiders. The law functioned in a similar way for Israel. It separated Israel from the Gentiles. But with the coming of Jesus, that particular function of the ceremonial law ended because now Jesus was opening the doors to Gentiles and Jews together. This pedagogue protected and separated its master's children from the surrounding world and its influences, corrected their misbehavior, taught them. That's a great picture of the law. And Paul is saying that's the purpose of the law. Now, one thing I find intriguing is that Paul, in this explanation of the law's purpose, is blending two cultural ideas together, which is very apropos. The law, of course, is a Jewish contributor to the discussion. The pedagogue, well, that's the Greek Gentile cultural contribution to this illustration. Paul is saying, we Jews were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. As of Jesus' death and resurrection, we no longer need to be locked up. There's no longer a wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles because we've come of age and we no longer need the pedagogue. We're no longer under a guardian because of Jesus. Now, Paul continues this line of reasoning in verse 26. So, as a result of this line of reasoning I just laid out, 
In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, Jew and Gentile. Folks, this is huge. This is another reason Paul's preaching the gospel was so revolutionary. This fact that we are all children of God through faith, Jew and Gentile. So what are the results of that, really? Well, he lists three of them. First of all, he says, through faith in Christ, all who believe become children of God. That is, they have moved on from their need of a pedagogue. When a child comes of age, he or she no longer needs a pedagogue. All who believe become sons of God and no longer need a pedagogue to wall them off from the rest of the world. <laughs> we, Jew and Gentile, are all children of God through faith. We're all children of Abraham. In verse 27, he goes on to say, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself to Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the second result of passing from law to grace through faith in Jesus Christ is that all who believe become one with another in the sense that there's now no advantage given to one thing or one group over another. No one group gets preferential treatment over any other group. Paul is not removing distinctions. Men are still men. Women are still women. Jews are still Jews. Gentiles are still Gentiles. But he's saying that in the eyes of God, no group gets preferential treatment over another. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, Paul said, right? There's neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, in verse 29, he says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. So the third result of passing from law to grace through faith in Jesus Christ is that all who believe become one with those who have been saved by faith throughout the long history of salvation. Now, I have friends of mine, and I think I've mentioned this before, who are dispensationalists. In a very broad definition of dispensationalism, think of it this way. Dispensationalists look at interpreting the Bible and understanding God through the lens of ages or epochs or dispensations. And they believe that God moved differently in different dispensations. And it's their way of trying to understand all the difficulties of reading and interpreting the Bible. I, I get that. Now, I don't agree with the concept of dispensationalism, and that's maybe another discussion for another day. But I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has never changed. And I believe that there have always been those who are saved. In fact, according to Paul, everybody who believes God is brought into Abraham's family. And throughout the biblical history, we see Gentiles, we see Jews, and we see foreign kings believe God. And it was counted to them for righteousness. So, Salvation has always been through faith. It wasn't through the law in the Old Testament and then through faith in the New Testament. It's always been through faith. That's Paul's assertion. Thus, by union with Christ, believers become Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What the Jewish legalists were offering the Christians in Galatia was the honor and privilege of being part of Abraham's family. And in their mind, you did that by embracing Judaism 
and all its ceremonial law, circumcision, essentially becoming Torah observant, looking like Jews. They felt that embracing all that brought you into God's favor. Paul is saying, if you're so concerned about becoming Abraham's children, you need to realize that you already are. You became Abraham's children the minute you believed. You don't have to add these other things. Do you remember in the previous chapter we talked about when Paul addressed Abraham's seed? He made a big deal that the term the seed pointed to Christ, not to Israel. Remember that the big point of the previous passage was that Israel was not the focus of what happened to Abraham. Messiah was the focus. Messiah is God, what God was aiming at. So when Paul uses the word seed, he's saying that if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed. Paul wants to remind them that we're talking about union with Christ here in regards to Abraham, not union with Israel. The Judaizers are saying union with Israel is important. This is the crux of this whole disagreement between Paul and these Judaizers. Paul is saying that the point of the promise made to Abraham was Messiah, not Israel. The prize that the legalizers have been holding before the eyes of the Galatian Christians, becoming the seed of Abraham, was negated by Paul. Stop and think about that for a second. You can't really become the physical seed of anybody just because you choose to. That's it. You're the physical seed of whoever your parents were. But you can be adopted into a family. And when you're adopted into a family, you inherit all that family has to offer. It's as if you were the physical seed. <laughs> friends of mine, dear friends of mine, who have adopted two children, one from Russia, one from South America. These children are not physically of the blood of the parents who adopted them, but they have inherited everything that their parents have, their name, their reputation, their wealth. That's what's important. Who these children's parents were in real life is no longer the issue. They've been adopted into a family and given everything that family has. They are heirs to everything that family brings to the table. Paul is telling the Gentiles, Galatians, you're adopted into the family. You have every right that the Jewish people who believe have. You have every privilege that the Jewish people who believe have. You don't have to adopt the physical things. You're already adopted. You're in the family. The thing that they were offering you has been given to you by virtue of the fact that you believed. Believers enter into the promises of Abraham by entering into Christ. That's Paul's argument. They're trying to make you into something that you already are. You are of the seed of Abraham by virtue of the fact that you believe like Abraham did. One thought occurs to me, and with this I'll close. As I read as I read this, I was thinking about today's churches. I believe we face some of the very same issues in today's churches. We have all these denominations in the United States, and there's all these differences that separate these denominations, mostly doctrinal. Um, some churches and denominations, though, have adopted rules to govern the physical characteristics of their of their believers. Uh, I haven't had the good fortune of meeting a certain young lady and her husband in person, but we've exchanged Facebook messages and she has come out of a church movement that was very, very, very legalistic. In addition to the gospel, they were forcing their women and their men to dress very specifically. Uh, no jewelry, no makeup, 
no long hair, the length of the skirt, girls can't wear pants, etc., etc., etc. They have all these physical things to adopt in order to become part of the kingdom of God in their theology. That's exactly the same kind of thing that was happening here in Galatia. The Gentiles were free. They had been adopted into the family of God. They're children of the promise already, and in, and in come these legalizers and say, yeah, but, and proceed to try to make the Galatians look like Jewish believers. So you can see the theological battle that Paul is fighting here. But it's more than just a battle between religious traditions. In approximately 20 years after this letter was written, after this problem was addressed, Rome was going to move on Jerusalem and sack it. They would absolutely destroy it. In AD 70, Rome destroyed the temple and Israel's citizens were scattered. There was no temple in Jerusalem anymore. There was no Jerusalem anymore. There was no religious capital of Israel. Israel was gone from that moment on until it was reestablished in the 1940s. Now, God knows this, of course. And whether or not he showed that to Paul, I don't know. But God did show it to John, and you can read about it in his revelation, where John was predicting what was going to happen. And the church had to be ready to stand on its own without Judaistic underpinnings. I see a certain genius in this, in the fact that God was preparing the church to stand alone from Judaism. So to get sucked back into Judaism was a perilous thing. And when Jerusalem fell, the church continued to move on because Paul and the other apostles were successful in convincing them that they did not have to embrace Judaism. The church was getting ready to stand on its own. And here in this letter, we're seeing Paul in the midst of that battle, which I believe he ultimately won. All right, that's a good place to stop. I'm Paige, and here's my coffee. Uh, folks, I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at page, that's P-A-I-G-E, at coffeebiblepage.com.